You're listening to Alicast, a deep dive into innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payment, and digital entertainment. Brought to you by Alibaba Group. I'm Jing Wang, and the host of today's Alicast. Here at Alicast, we highlight resources for international businesses to develop the China strategy. Whether they're on day one of thinking of a new market or getting ready for Double Eleven, the world's largest shopping festival. Today's guest, Frank Lavin, has 30 years of experience helping companies succeed in China through top roles in both the private and public sector. Before becoming an entrepreneur, Frank had a stellar career in Washington as a top trade negotiator for China in India in the Commerce Department, and later served as U.S. Ambassador to Singapore. As CEO and founder of ExportNow, a China e-commerce solution firm, Frank has facilitated hundreds of market entries for international brands, from Fender to the NFL. Frank recently authored a book, The Smart Business Guide to China E-Commerce. This comprehensive guide offers advice for companies at every stage of the China strategy. Ahead of this year's Double Eleven, he's here with us today to share some key takeaways. Frank, thank you for joining us today, and congratulations on the book launch. Thanks, Jing.、Uh, we love talking about China e-commerce, and it was fun to produce this book. So now you can have a conversation with anybody in the world about the excitement and the benefits and the opportunities of China e-commerce. I'd love to know about your career. You've had such an amazing career, and what inspired you to devote your professional life? To understanding China, I've spent about half my career in government, about half my career in business,、uh, almost all of it China focused or or Asia focused. China represents the only major economy in the world that is still defining itself. You could say India is somewhat in that category; it somewhat is, but Chinese economy is three to five times larger and a much more open economy. But the point is, all of the other major economies—Europe, Japan, Australia, Korea, so forth—are mature and developed.、Uh, China is the only one that is still defining itself, still working through how it's going to connect with the world. So, my advice to business any place in the world is: you're not going to have a global strategy unless you have a China strategy. Unless you come to terms somehow with the China market and its size,、uh, you might be just limited to your home market, and you'll never be truly a global brand. If you've ever been to China, you know that the dynamics there—that the country is changing by the day. So exciting! So before we dive into the new book, what are some key takeaways for those who haven't read it? Well, the the first point is just what we talk about is the size of the China market. That it is the largest consumer market in the world. It is a larger consumer market, larger retail market than the United States, and it is the largest digital market in the world. Meaning, in China. Over 50% of retail spend is online. In the U.S., it's only about 20%. So the point is, any brand can go to China with a digital strategy, with an online strategy, and have really good market penetration. So we say in the U.S., online e-commerce is icing on the cake, but in China, it's the cake. You can you can really have a great market profile on a pure play e-commerce、uh, strategy. The opportunity is immense.、Um, as a policy expert, I also want to ask a question that's perhaps on everybody's mind when entering China these days: Should they be intimidated by the geopolitical tensions and negative headlines? Well, there is certainly more、uh, friction or more problems in the relationship in the U.S.-China relationship now than 
I would say at any point in recent memory, I, I think that's unfortunate. It's more stable now than it was a few years ago. So I would I would tell anybody, you need to find a way to move ahead, uh, even if it's sometimes bad weather, right? But but you probably want to calibrate accordingly. Meaning, I would tell anybody in, in a market where there can be tension, be careful about deep investments, be careful about deep debt. And by the way, that backs you into an e-commerce strategy because e-commerce is almost almost a textbook example of a variable cost model. If you sell $1 million on goods on Tmall next year, you can make a profit. If you sell $10 million, you make more of a profit. But if something happens and that collapses to $5 million, you still make a profit. Right. You're, I, I think it's fair to say that the government, there's difference between the government tensions and then the sentiment in the business community. And the consumer sector is always has always been a bright spot compared to the industrial oh, and uh, military I, 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 Absolutely, sectors. because I, I'd say in addition to the retail goods, Jing, there, I mean, if you just look at McDonald's in China, look at Starbucks in China, look at Marriott in China, look at Pizza Hut in China, to say the, the, the whole F&B segment of the market is incredibly internationalized and uh, the Chinese consumer likes these outlets for the same reason Americans like these outlets, right? But that holds true across that whole retail space. You mentioned the China opportunity is very bright for larger brands like Nike and Starbucks. What about smaller brands? Is it a daunting market for them? The global majors have a strategy department, an international department, a China team. and But you're right. What about a mid-tier brand or a junior brand that says, look, I don't have anybody. But I'd say that here's the question for the, the, the smaller brands. How digital are you? Some very small brands are very strong in the digital space. You're going to do well in China. You get it. Because everything you're doing is digital. Your consumer only perceives you through digital. But you have to know how to court the consumer. You're a new brand to the market. You have to be able to explain yourself. You have to allow the consumer to fall in love with you. And so, which is another way of saying showing up is not a strategy. Simply opening up your store on Tmall in itself is not a strategy. That's a building block of a strategy. You have to have an active social media campaign where you're having a conversation. Today's consumers, I think China is very similar to America in this behavior. And in some ways, these smaller brands have almost an innate advantage because they were born digital. They know how to navigate the social media, digital campaigns, right? I think you're absolutely right. The digital natives who are, some U.S. brands are pure play digital, they'll do very well in China. And other brands are just weighted more toward digital. And you do tend to see that in the junior brands because getting physical bricks and mortar distribution is a bit of a journey. Yeah, and for smaller businesses, you can't really be digital and global from day one, right? And I'm sure you've met hundreds of founders, and the founders I've met, they're very, some of them are very global-minded. You're absolutely right. I mean, the you know the world is getting smaller every day, as we say, but boy, you'll see people who have a kind of international background, or they have sort of a U.S. online presence, and they say, but you know what? 15% of my sales come from outside the U.S., and I don't really do any, I don't make any special effort to cultivate those people. But people, you know, the consumers are global and they're sophisticated and they'll sniff around a bit. So uh, so I said, you know, if you're in that space, there's something really cool about your brand, your message, your product. There's something that really works there. If you're getting that kind of international traction without really much of an international effort, that tells me, you know, you have you have something going on. We'll say, we'll say at Expert Now, if there's magic in your brand, we can make that magic work in China, right? There has to be something in your brand that gets people excited, that people talk about, that people cherish, they share. If that's where you are, the Chinese consumer will respond to that. 
in your book, you quoted an executive saying, call me when China stops being weird. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. And, you know, China never stops being weird. And consumers there are driven by a very different set of rules and social, cultural norms and even languages. Um, how should brands navigate those? Yeah, it's funny. You were talking a minute ago about a lot of even junior brands in the U.S. have an international outlook because somebody in that company or you know, there's some kind of international pedigree, right? That is definitely true. You just gave an example of the other end of the spectrum where this person only, only has lived and worked in the home market. And that they might have, they might be a very successful brand, might be 10 or 20 years old, but all they've done is expand nationally in the U.S. And, and they have trouble with Canada. The brand message and the brand value proposition is the same in every market, but how consumers perceive it and what they want, what they do with it can can differ and the holidays will be different and as you suggest some of the rules and regulations might be different so so there has to be some ability to adapt and we'd say um, you know if, if you're hundred percent rigid if you're saying I can only go to a market that is like my home market well good luck you 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 really won't be able to go outside your home market China will become the first country that um, over 50 percent of a total retail sales will be generated from e-commerce channel, right? And a lot of businesses are, are going to choose e-commerce to first enter that market. Sure. And, and how and should I, they navigate that? How should they form a... That's a great question. And by way of explaining these differences too, uh, I'd say, the chi remember, the Chinese consumer is encountering your brand and your product for the very first time. In your home market, the person grew up with the product. So the need for more communication... Uh, more discussion, more answers in China is paramount. For example, a web page, an e-commerce store in China will tend to have much more information about the product, more photos, different angles of photos, more history of the company, uh, more FAQs than equivalent web page in the U.S. It's not because consumers in the U.S. are less intelligent, but they've been using that product for 20 years. So just remember, you're talking to people for the very first time who don't have a family history with this product, so you have to be able to explain yourself. People say, well, I could go to China, but I could go to Europe. You know, what, what's the difference? What to say Europe has a population of incumbent brands. They've had prosperity for multiple generations. China's really in the first generation of prosperity. So you have consumers for the very first time thinking about how to have a better life. If you go to China, you're you're talking to someone who never in their life has bought a bottle of wine, but it's their girlfriend's birthday next week and they want to buy a bottle <laughs> of wine. And you have to explain to them why your right. bottle of California wine is a great bottle of wine for your girlfriend's birthday. Right. And you sold um, guitars to American football gear to Chinese consumers there. And what's but the the key really is brand building. How should brands do that? Live streaming, any tools that's useful? Yes, you, you need to stay in the digital space, and I think you need to be multi-channel. Sometimes it's purely social media where you are having that conversation, where people are asking you questions, you're explaining yourself. Sometimes it's video assets where you're showing how it's made. We, for example, work with uh, Abbott, Simulac Baby Formula. We went into the Baby Formula factory. We talked to the technicians, the scientists, the quality control people, walk people through in a live stream to show people how it's produced, what the quality checks are. It's an authentication uh, statement from the brand. Uh, sometimes it's a pure advertisement because people are trying to find you. They're not quite sure what, uh, you know, how to get a hold of you. They don't know the brand that well, so pure advertising. But I would look at multi-channel where you're, you're active, full spectrum digitally. I'll say this. China has a stronger video 
uh, element of its communication than the United States does. So the uh, consumer in China will expect more live streaming and more video presentations than the consumer in the United States. And consumers really, they don't just shop online, they browse online, they discover online. They spend a lot of time just entertaining online too, pastime. I, I think it's a way of life, again, more so than equivalent population in the United States, meaning your online world is where you connect with your friends, it's your social life. There's one question we always ask, if you purchase this product or if you receive this as a gift, would you tell your friends about it? Meaning, is there a social dimension to this product? If there is, then it's say, you know, this can go viral in China. And you're right, they're very enthusiastic about what they buy and they are very eager to share their experiences online, right? That's why you see these extensive reviews on the website for some Tmall stores. I want to also move to the other end of the spectrum for doing businesses, which is supply chain. You hear a lot of headlines these days about um, the global retail industry is facing supply chain challenges and and for this double leaven also, how, how should brands think about cross-border supply chain logistics? Well, every brand is going to have uh, their own particular situation. I would say, uh, look, the smart brands adjust quickly and take the bad news up front. Meaning if the product's out of stock or minimal, I would take that off the website. I wouldn't be misleading consumers. I wouldn't be marketing something. We know that in the next three, six, nine months, it will correct and will be a market much closer to normal. So what you're in, if you're if you're in the middle of a severe disruption, you've got to adjust accordingly. But I'd say this: stay in the game, keep marketing, keep selling, keep that conversation going. Uh, but but recognize if you've got some limitations and adjust accordingly. How should global companies take their operations and learnings from China to their other markets? Here's what's interesting: is that companies that can master a foreign market might not even realize it, but they're beginning to develop internal expertise that can then be applied to other markets. So they understand international logistics better. They understand foreign currency better. They understand cross-border management better. So the company that does well in China, they ought to say, look, what, what's next? Do we want to go to Italy or Mexico or UK, right? At least you've, you're absorbing some of that international orientation. So there's longer term and broader benefits to the company in China than simply what it might get out of the China market. Absolutely. And when people say you make it in New York, you make it anywhere, I think if yeah. you make it in China, you make it anywhere. <laughs> I think you're absolutely correct. Why don't I go to Italy? Well, yeah, of course. You could you could probably do something very similar and you could set up a, a, a e-commerce store in Italy. The only thing we make is China is the largest e-commerce market in the world. So if you're going to make an investment in social media uh, and advertising, you're better off doing it in Chinese language rather than, with all respect, rather than Italian language, at least initially. At least initially. Get the Chinese side going, see if you can do it there, and then you can go to other markets, and that can be the next five or ten years of growth. We've got companies that say, every year I'm going to go to one new market and have one more distribution point, and say, fantastic. We first met um, back in 2016 uh, at this crazy Double Eleven Gala in Shenzhen. Yeah. Yeah. And fast fast four or five years, is Double Eleven still relevant? It's around the corner coming up. I think I weeks. think Double Eleven is huge. I think every brand ought to have a Double Eleven strategy. Look, and, and for the listeners who haven't figured this out, it's the number one shopping day in the world. So. China has sent a huge signal to the market, and really Alibaba and Tmall have sort of fostered this success to say this is the day when you will find the best products in the world. So not surprisingly, 
people adjust their own personal shopping to this. So people adjust their spending around double eleven. But that then puts pressure on the brand. What are you going to say that's new or special, original or unique or something to play in this space? It's a very competitive space. So what we see are a lot of brands come up with special singles day products or promotions, but gift boxes or other kind of uh, limited edition runs just to say, look, we've got a very special product purely for this holiday. We know it's a big sales day. So those, I think, are the smarter brands that adjust their entire marketing strategy around this holiday. You mentioned China has a very unique set of shopping holiday calendars. And and Double Eleven, it is the single most important shopping festival of all. Well, the other holidays are more or less, I, I would say they're largely traditional Chinese holidays uh, that can have a commercial dimension to it. But Singles Day, Double Eleven, is 100% you know, <laughs> c- you know, conjured up for the purpose of shopping. It's, it's the Olympics for brands. Exactly. That's a good way of putting it. That's great. Last question. You've moved back to the United States after living decades in Asia. What do you miss most there? Well, I'll tell you, you made a point a few minutes ago, which I think is 100% accurate, that there is a vitality to Shanghai. It is a busy, busy city. Initially, it can almost be a shock. Initially, it might even be to some people off-putting because it is crowded and it is <laughs> bustling. But but you get into the rhythm of it, and it's it's a city on the move, and people do want that better life. So you you leave with a kind of very positive, very optimistic feeling about consumer behavior in China. Yeah, you speak Chinese, and I think my favorite Chinese word is "re now," which <laughs> describe is is. It literally means hot and noisy, yeah, but it's often yeah, yeah. bustle hustle, and it, it's used to describe the festivity and, and the ambiance, right? So, and I think I, I really also do miss that energy in, in China. Thank you, uh, Frank Lavin, CEO and founder of Export Now. Thank you for joining us today. Jing, thank you for having me on. It's a lot of fun. We love talking about China e-commerce, and and if people are more interested, please uh, the Smart Business Guide to China e-commerce. Please pick it up, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot. Oh, 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 oh,